You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as uh, simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome back to the tomahawk nation hoops dedicated podcast although i have a feeling michael on this one we will be discussing more than just basket fsu basketball or college basketball i i am matt minnick coming uh, to you here it is it is a friday friday the 13th and uh i'm joined by by michael rogner as always you know this we we had kind of sketched out a pod uh, schedule that had, you know, we were some big plans in terms of hopefully doing a, a Saturday podcast previewing the ACC championship, which we both had projected Florida State to be in. A selection Sunday one reacting to the to the uh, to the draw that Florida State probably pro- in all likelihood receiving a two seed for the first time in program history, and then of course a series of podcasts around around the the bra- like the each of the quadrants of the bracket and projecting forward in FSU's path as pretty much anybody listening to this knows by now, none of that is going to take place thanks to COVID-19 and, and the reactions to it. So with the season's over, Michael, and I guess maybe it's first appropriate to reflect back and think about the season that was. So what, what, what are what will be your la- other than the tournament being canceled? What you know? What will be your lasting memories of the actual basketball that was played uh, in the 2019-20 season for Florida State? That's a that's a hard thing to wrap your head around right now because you know, we should be prepping for the semifinals right now, the ACC tournament sem- semifinals, which would be happening at seven o'clock tonight. You know, probably a Florida State Duke uh, rematch. You know, from from the game where we played them in Cameron. 
Um, you know, and now we're just, it's like the rug has been yanked. Um, you know, not, not to make light of the situation, but this is probably a little bit how Virginia fans felt when they lost to a 16 seed. It's like, holy cow, this season's, you know, the season's over, you know, now what? And we're, and we're kind of, you know, looking, trying to look retrospectively at this team. And, and I, I think that the way that I sort of classify this team is right there with last year's team. Like I think the two best Florida State teams in Leonard Hamilton's tenure are, are this year and last year. Uh, last year got um, a little derailed in the tournament by injuries and, and personal tragedy. This year's team got completely derailed by, you know, the coronavirus thing. Um, there's a little bit of an argument maybe for the 2012 team, but I don't, I don't think that team had enough offense to, to, really, to really qualify with, with the last two-year team. So, you know, when I, when I look back on the season, you know, it's, 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 you know, a shame how it ended, but it was a really fun ride once we got past that first game. You know, we, we, we came out of the gate and lose to Pitt. We're like, oh, great, here we go. And then they reel off like 17 of the next 18 or something. And it was a super fun ride um, up, up until the end. And, you know, this, this, you know, definitely could be, you know, one the best Florida State team in most of our lifetimes. Um, you know, certainly the highest ranked and the, and the highest seeded. Uh, so, yeah, it was a special year, and it just really sucks that it, you know, kind of ends this way, especially for the seniors on the team. Yeah, I think that's, I think that's an appropriate summation. It really sucks, you know. And <laughs> I don't know that there's a lot else uh, to add, but I, thinking about the teams, as you said, I, you know, the 2018 team, so that's the Elite Eight team, I thought at the end of the year they were playing – some of the best basketball that I've seen a Florida state team play. They, they really handled, uh, you know, Missouri there in the first round and, you know, handled them pretty easily to be honest. And then upset a number one team and then dominated Gonzaga, albeit Gonzaga did have, have an injury in that game to Killian Tilly. But the last two years, so 2019 and 2020, you've sort of seen that level of play not just in, you know, one or two game spurts, but throughout a season, particularly last year, uh, but, but throughout the year. And on top of that, this year you saw a team that was arguably playing some of its best ball down the stretch. I, I know that the, the Syracuse game, for example, the, Sy the Syracuse team that just whitewashed UNC in the ACC tournament, Florida State plays that game without Devin Vassell and still wins that they were up, you know, double digits at, at, for a large portion of the game. And the score ended up being three, but still wins despite a, a pretty good shooting performance by Syracuse. Florida State travels to Cameron and, and frankly plays bad, bad, like C in terms of shooting bad basketball, just did not shoot well right there in the game at the end. Uh, and so you know, that comeback against Notre Dame, against a Notre Dame team that was shooting pretty well, that, that's a difficult arena to play in. They, they took a few punches, stood there, and then, wow, really came back. And, of course, the Louisville games. So, yeah, I do think that this might have been the best team in the Leonard Hamilton era. I think that you're right to at least mention the 2012 team. I know the, 
the actually the 2007 team that didn't make the NCAA tournament, they they finished top 35 in the country on Ken Palm. They they had basically if you remove the stretch where Tony Douglas broke his hand and we we lost five games in a row, um, they they were 22 and eight I guess without with Tony Douglas in the lineup. In, in an ACC that was pretty pretty darn good, they won in Cameron. So I think that team should at least not be lost totally in the shuffle. But this was a really good team, and and let me get your thoughts real quick on a couple of stats compared to last year's team. So I'm not going to mention ranks because the ranks are obviously uh, dependent on the rest of the landscape of college basketball, but. Last year's team had a 112.8 offensive adjusted offensive rating for their you know schedule and tempo. This year's team had a had a 111.7. So last year's team maybe was slightly just adjusted efficiency slightly better on offense. But their the shooting the effective field goal percentage of this team was actually um, you know one and a half percent better. Turnovers were identical, ironically, 18.9 percent of possessions. This team was a better offensive rebounding team despite losing Fiondu Cabangeli and Chris Kamaji. Let me so they rebounded 33.5% of their misses. Last year was 32.8. This team rebounded better. Uh, this team shot twos better than last year's team. This team was two percentage points from three better. And that, mind you, is despite a a longer three-point line, right? An increased distance from the three-point line. This team was two percentage points better from three. The only thing this team really didn't do as well as last year was get to the free throw line, and that was significantly less. So thinking about this year's offense versus last year's offense, what, you know, what, do, you, what do you make of the two teams? Well, I thought that this year's was much more explosive, primarily because of the, 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 their ability to, to force live ball turnovers and then their, their ability to, to shoot three. You know, those are, those are, you know, you put those two things together and you can put on a lot of, you know, 12-0 runs and, you know, 15-2 to two runs, you know, during, during the course of the year. The thing that you mentioned about, about free throws, that is, that's definitely significant. You know, the free throws are the most, most efficient place to score on, on the college basketball court or on any basketball court. And last year's team was really good at getting to the line. You know, Fiondu was, was, was good at it. Terrence, Terrence Mann. Mann. Yeah. Uh, even Trent Forrest was, you know, better last year getting to the line than he was this year. And we've talked about that on previous pods. We don't need to go into that. Uh, but that was the significant difference. And, and, it, and it was so significant that I would probably, you know, kind of lump this year's offense and last year's offense, you know, basically into this into the same category. Uh, this year's, I think, was was a little more fun to watch. Um, you know, teams that can that can that are forcing a lot of turnovers, and you know that leads to you know exciting plays. And 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 the, this year's team was sort of full of those exciting. Uh, plays whereas last year's team was was a little more workmanlike uh, but they did did because they got to the line so often you know they were able to score at you know just as an efficient or maybe even more efficient you know level than than this year's than this year's team so you know if we you know end up talking about next year's team that 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 how often we go to the free throw line is um, you know should be a key thing that the coaches are, are, are working on and talking about yeah, no, I you're I mean the free throw rate 
is significantly down, right? I mean, it's greater than 5% percentage points down, which when you're talking about the, I mean, that's, so it's, it's, um, I can do the quick math of five percentage points on, on 35 here is, uh, so what is it? It's a 14% drop. So that's a, that's a significant drop. I, I'm interested, you know, we don't really know the data yet. I'll be interested to see some of how that plays out with, is that with the increased three point line? Um, I, I, I don't know. I, I don't know if there's anything there or not. I do wonder, and we'll never know the answer to this. Last year's three point, last year's team was bad at shooting threes to begin with. It was 33%, uh, 232nd in the country. I, I wonder if they played in this year's court, this year's dimensions, would that have been even worse? I don't know. Would teams have really just said, F it, we're going to pack it in and, and they're going to shoot 31, 32% from three, similar to defending Virginia this year, and, and just say that we don't think they can beat us like that. That's a question we'll never know. But to your point about the turnovers, I'm glad you said it because I was going there next. Yeah, this year's team, so it will finish the year with – you know, forcing turnovers 23.7% of, of the opponent's possessions, right? So almost a full quarter of the opponent's possessions. That is the most since the 2010 team, which was also the most for Florida State since the 2010 team, which also directly, uh, which ironically finished uh, at 23.7, the exact same amount. That was in a very different era of basketball and that Florida State team actually finished second in the country for adjusted defense. What that Florida State team did not do was uh, they were not able to shoot and they weren't able to value the basketball. They, them, they themselves had more than a 22% turnover rate, whereas this year's team was only 18.9, which is why this year's team is a lot better than the 2010 team, despite the same uh, turnover rate being generated on defense. You combine that with our block percentage of 15.9, which Last year's was 12.7. So this year's was fourth in the country, 15.9. And like you said, those blocks and turnovers that were leading to steals were, were extremely explosive basketball. It reminded me of those Duke teams maybe a decade ago that it was a, a 58 to 57 game and you went up to get another beer and you walk back and, and the Cameron crazies are going bonkers and it's a 12-0 run and they're up, they're up 11. You know, so like what, what just happened? And that was what sort of Florida state was capable of doing this year. So do you think that the defense this year, thinking about this year versus last year, would, would they have actually been able to, I, I like, which team would you say, like if both of, both of them are fully healthy, which team wins? Oh man, that's, that is a tough one. A lot, a lot of those same guys are obviously on both on both teams, but they're a year older on this year's team. We and Patrick Williams is a is a defensive difference maker, right? But we lose Fiondu, who's who can end Cobb and Galley, and 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 you know all those other guys that last year's team team lost. Um, you know, honestly, this is this is one. I bet you could watch these teams go at each other all day long, and there's just not going to be a lot of separation. The they're very different teams, which is uh, kind of surprising to see. You know, the, the basically the same players, or at least a lot of the you know more than half the team is the same players. Uh, you know, going from one one year to the next, and it's and it's and you know it's very different. Uh, 
uh, style of game, even though they're playing the same offense, they're playing the same defense. You just you just put in different skill sets, and you're and you're seeing a you know very interesting and, and different game. Um, I would probably if I if you held if you held a gun to my head and forced me to pick, I would probably take this year's team, just because Trent's a senior and you know it's it's at at some point we saw it in several games this year, like at the end of a close game, he he just took over. And, you know, it, maybe last year he was deferring a little bit to, to Terrence Mann and Fiondu and, and other folks, you know, but this year he was just, he was a, 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 a bad dude coming down the, the final seconds or final minutes of, of, of a close game. And, uh, you know, I, I think that, he, I think that he'll, he'll be the different difference maker in my little fantasy world when these two teams play each other. I can't, I can't blame you at all. I, it's hard for me sometimes to think about last year's team and, and I forget that Trent played most of the season on a toe that ultimately required surgery. And, and he played through that pain. We're talking about a, a gritty, tough, you know, badass, right? That's Trent Forrest. He's a, a gritty, tough badass who essentially played the sport of basketball, a, a sport that requires you know, constant explosion and change of direction on a big toe that required surgery. So I don't, it's hard sometimes for me to, you think about like, oh, well, fully healthy last year. I don't even know what fully healthy last year looked like. Uh, maybe the destruction of UF. I, I don't know. But I also agree with you that this year there was something different about Trent's confidence, it, it, whether it was his willingness to step out and, shoot threes and even make some in, in some big spots. I feel like, didn't he have a three there in the, in the Louisville game? Or, I mean, so that, that was a difference maker for me. And, and I also think MJ Walker, the MJ Walker that, that we saw this year is just a totally different basketball player from the MJ Walker of last year. You know, Vassell, Vassell was a good shooter. Like Vassell sent the Virginia Tech game into overtime with, with a dagger corner three. And then Terrence Mann, of course, made the um, made the champion or made the bucket at the buzzer to send Florida State on to the next round in last year's ACC tournament. Vassell essentially just had more playing time this year, and and of course his defense, you know, his awareness improved, but he just had more playing time, and and that dude can flat out shoot the rock. But MJ Walker turned into just a a different player, and and I think his jump was so much combined with Trent's confidence that I'm with you. I think that I would probably take this team. I know last year set a school record with 29 and eight, 29 wins. I don't see, I don't realistically see a world in which this year's team didn't match that 29 or probably exceed it. I'm thinking a win over Clemson, maybe a win over Duke. Uh, let's call it that too. And then, you know, a first round win over the 15 seed, probably a second round win in the NCAA tournament. That's 30 already. So yeah, I, I think I'm, I, all that is to say, I, I think I'd love to see the matchup, but I, you're probably right that I think I would take this year's, which, which maybe drives home the point even more that it's a shame we won't, we won't know the outcome. And, and I, of course, can't imagine what the guy, like guys like Trent Forrest on the team are, are going through uh, who, who don't have next year. But some of these guys do have next year. So let's maybe look forward and talk about that. You, you just mentioned how it's incredible what Leonard Hamilton and Stan Jones were able to do going from the style of last year to the style of this year, largely with similar people. What, what do you think 
is is next year closer to this year or closer to 2019? I think well, we're going to see more growing pains next year just because Trent's not on the team. Uh, we you know we've obviously got Scotty Barnes coming in, who's the the highest rated recruit ever for or, or since at least since Doug Edwards, which you know they didn't even have good recruiting rankings back then. So who knows what two really meant back then. Um, you know, so so that is going to be a change. You've got a very high-level freshman who's going to be, you know, a, a very. Uh, it's going to be kind of ball dominant there, and there's going to be some some growth issues. Uh, it'll be depending on who comes back. It'll be a better shooting team. You know, so I th- I think that we could see, uh, you know, kind of a version of this year's offense, uh, but making more threes, which which is really fun to think about uh Sadar Calhoun is a is a legit shooter I mean he's he's yeah. taking some, something like you know eight or nine threes per game for the last two years and and is making 45 46 percent um it, he that guy is is going to be a legit scorer in the ACC and then you know Anthony Polite showed tremendous uh, growth this year uh, MJ Walker, as you mentioned, and he's he's really been shooting the ball well lately when he's healthy, uh, which which uh, you know bodes well for next year. Um, Raquan Evans shot the ball well, just not often. Wyatt Wilkes uh, shot the ball well, especially as the season went on. Malik Osborne. I mean, we we got a bunch of of shooters next year, and so I think that the ability to spread the court a little more uh, which we were we kind of were able to do this year but but certain certain teams certainly shrunk it down against Florida State and and and, and forced them to shoot uh, you know so we so I think with that we could see uh, a really fun offense next year depending on on how well Scotty Barnes plays um, and, uh, and how quickly he uh, you know adjusts to the uh, college game, and then the wild card is who comes back. You know, I think Patrick Williams and, and Devin Vassell. You know, there's probably a pretty good chance that both neither of those guys are here next year. And then, you know, who who knows about someone like like MJ Walker? You know, he's he's 22. He might be wanting to get his career started. You know, she's not going to get drafted, but you know, you never you never know what what decisions people are going to make on what what path they're going to take to the to the to the uh, their professional game, and then you know, assuming Vassell and Williams are gone, then we've got two, also got two more scholarships or three more scholarships available. So that's uh, you know, so there's there's going to be there's going to be more faces on this team that we don't know about just yet. You know, probably in the in the uh, you know grad transfers, or maybe they'll take a take a a shot at at, at take uh, taking a long taking sort of a, a long shot or a project guy to to add to this team you know who knows so there's going to be new faces you know but what we what we know is coming back is going to be a really good um, shooting team they are they I, I think i i think the jump that mj walker made this year has me really encouraged about the jump that anthony polite can make next year a guy that we really didn't even mention was wyatt wilkes i don't know I, I feel like we watched his confidence grow right before us. And, and I, I do think there's games during the season. There are certain games and certain opponents that he can play for 12 minutes or 15 you know, minutes and shoot and shoot threes. Calhoun's absolutely going to take some of those 
I think, shots away from Wyatt. But by the same token, he'll also open up shots for everybody else because, as you said it, Calhoun is an absolute floor stretcher. I mean, that dude, that, that dude can – I mean, whoo, he can, he can shoot. And, and, and I do feel like that you're, you're right. In the beginning of the year, I don't think we're going to start 16-1 and one or 2, whatever we started this year because you don't have that leadership from Trent. Let's not forget that Trent's seasons at Florida State ended with 26 wins, 23 wins, 29 wins, and now 26 wins in a shortened season. That, that is pretty remarkable. But, you know, we see teams like Kentucky, and, and Hamilton and Calipari are, are both – neither one of them are given enough credit for developing players, both uh, from season to season – and also within a basketball season. I, I mean, I know a lot of folks used to ride Calipari for, oh, just roll the ball out there with your, with your talent. But when you look at such seasons like Roy Williams had this year with UNC, I think it really gives a new perspective on what John Calipari has been able to do. And, and you see those teams maybe start off with some losses and, and then grow into themselves and, and sort of turn into, you know, he's made the Elite Eight seven or eight times since he's been at Kentucky. So turn into this monster in March uh, and, and where the talent sort of meets the, the folks being ready to play with each other. You saw that with Virginia this year. I think Virginia started off very, you know, they lost a lot of talent to the NBA, started off, you know, pretty, it didn't even look like they were going to make the tournament. And, and Tony has kind of coalesced them into a group that was playing as good as basketball as anybody down the stretch. Uh, so, yeah, I, I think that fans may need to, you know, this year we were saying, God, if we can just start one and one, if we can just start one and one with that Pitt and UF game, and we ended up doing that, although maybe it was the opposite result that many expected, we thought, well, we really could have a chance there to kind of sweep through the rest of the out-of-conference season just looking at the schedule and looking at the team that we have. I remember you and I talking about, like, you start one and one, you could you could end up going into ACC play with maybe one or two losses, and 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 next year I don't know that that's going to be possible, but we could be as good of a team or better come late February. I, I want to then. T- so you mentioned the people leaving, because because you're right, we don't know who the new faces are going to be. Hamilton always has a trick up his sleeve. Uh, Naheem McLeod or McLeod, I'm not sure how to pronounce his last name, but the guy who was recruited last year and sat out with some eligibility reasons, he could come in and, and be that kind of defensive rim protector. But if you're Pat Williams, if you are MJ Walker, if, if you're somebody in college basketball who doesn't know that they are going to be a first round draft pick, right? They're not a surefire lottery pick. It seems uncertain right now that you'd want to go somewhere overseas, go play in China, right? I mean, at this point, Chinese basketball has been since we don't even know what's going on there. So it seems uncertain you'd want to go play in China. Seems uncertain you'd want to go play in Italy. And and given that the NBA draft process is now pushed back, we, we don't know whether there will even be an NBA combine. We don't know what kind of data the, the NBA, the, the college players are going to be receiving from the NBA or the timeline on that. And they've now lost that opportunity to use the NCAA tournament as a launching pad, which every year is a launching pad for people. Last year, Fiondu Cabangeli had promises made by NBA teams based off his performance in the 
in the Murray State game when there were three dozen scouts there watching John Morant. So the NCAA tournament is a launch pad for these folks. What, what does this change the math for you if you are 18 year old Patrick Williams? Does it change the math for you if you're 22 year old MJ Walker, who probably is going to have to prove himself in the G in the G league or maybe overseas, you know, versus coming back to school for one more year, a school that, by the way, you don't know for sure if the, if the college basketball season is even going to start on time. I feel like we're we're back four or five years ago, you know, where players were not getting good direction from the NBA, and they they've they've made some rule changes since then to to make sure that uh, players have have much more and better information, and they can go back, they can change their mind and go back to school, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, now all that's out the window. I mean, how much how much information is Pat going to have? from NBA teams you know he's certainly been scouted during the season because he was on the radar from the beginning but it's not like he was a top 10 prospect coming into Florida State you know he was in the in the high 20s so uh, even though he was on the list he was certainly wasn't on the top of the list Um, he has he has been scouted but (laughs) have they really scouted him enough to be able to peg him as a for, for certain first rounder you know who knows I, th- I think Vassell he's got two, he's got two years of development some guys have you know probably watched him last year and then watched him again this year and he's also got a 40 percent shot from three so let's exactly, turn that out there. yeah right um so so I, I think he'll probably <laughs> excuse me he'll probably get a little better uh inf- information from the uh from the NBA but who knows I mean are they are they gonna are they gonna be bringing players together to have combines at all i mean is probably like, not what is, certainly not before what, june right yeah so so what's the path to get that information from the nba and then so i think i think a lot of it is you know it's coming down to the same decision like that guys were making five or six years ago when they didn't have good information it was it was a uh, era of uncertainty and it was the they just you know made the best choice they could luckily you know, Coach Hamilton, Coach Jones have been doing this a long time. They have tons of contacts in the NBA. So it's, uh, you know, of the, uh, you know, of all the, all the potential first-rounders out there, they're probably going to get better information than, you know, coaches like, you know, Mike White maybe who hasn't developed those, you know, NBA connections yet, um, you know, at the coach head coach of Florida. So, so they'll, they'll get some information, but who knows how, how much it'll be, how, how good it'll be. And then they'll, they'll, if, if the, the NCA season for next year was set in stone, if there were no uncertainty about it, then that would give them something to, to lean towards because it is a uh, certainty. But the way that you know, the way that the NCA is responding to the coronavirus thing, it makes it seem like next year's season, you know, is a, is a total crapshoot at this point. And so I just don't know how, if you're Pat Williams, you decipher all this crap and, and come up with a good decision on, on your future. You know, it's, it's, it's super unfortunate for the you know, obviously for the seniors who had their season ended, but all these, all these players that are making multi-million dollar decisions, you know, they're making, they're making generational money decisions when they're 18, 19 years old. And there's not, there's no information for them to make the decision on. 
Um, so it's, it's going to be a tough one. It'll be interesting to see how it works out for, for the guys who are kind of currently projected at the bottom end of the first round, you know, like Pat Williams. Um, yeah, so I don't know. It's a tough one. And, and what do you do even then with, with the deadline, right? So typically, so March Madness would have happened. They, you know, Florida State makes Final Four, cuts down the nets. Uh, you know, Patrick Williams and these guys' stock soaring from this wonderful run that they go on. There's the NBA combine. There's, there's all these things they go participate in. And then there's these deadlines, right, typically in May where you have to sit, you have to announce whether you're going to school, coming back to school or, or staying in the draft. And, and those announcements, the, some of those deadlines are predicated on when an NBA draft will be, which it, it's very, very possible that the NBA draft is not going to be uh, held at that same time. But some of, those, some of those dates are also predicated on when do coaches need to have information about their rosters so that they can, as you mentioned, bring in the graduate transfers so that they can add that JUCO guy or that under the radar project that they're wanting to do and stick within the 13 scholarship limit. And, and then, you know, summer school starts and, and then people have to be on, you know, people are enrolled they're on scholarship, whatever they're doing, they're, they're attending classes and, and they're staying eligible for that next season. So that, that is why a lot of those dates and deadlines exist. At what point though, is this year that if, if the NCAA is truly about the student athlete and truly about allowing someone like Patrick Williams, who comes from a low income community in West Charlotte, right? He, right now he's at Florida state. He is, he is, you know, being, being given good, not all world training facilities. It's not like he's with the, the Golden State Warriors training facilities, but he's, he's getting good training. He's getting uh, meals. He's, he's getting an education. What, at what point do we have to say, well, th- it's pretty unfair to a student athlete to hold them to a deadline that they're not even sure of if the sport that they are competing in next year is going to happen. What, what, you know, like, what are they deadline? What are they committing for? And then by that, what do you do with people who are, who you've already recruited for next year in the scholarship? I mean, I feel like there's going to have to potentially be a serious look at eligibility issues uh, and, and, and scholarship issues that, that I'm not sure right now anyone's giving real thought to. I, I don't know. It just seems like there's a lot of uncertainty here and, and, there, and unfortunately, with the, with the track record of the NCAA, it seems like there's going to be people who, who are ultimately uh, unfairly punished. And then that's the key to everything you just said is um, the NCAA. They're the ones – I would imagine that you and I and a couple of other people, let's pick some other podcasters from, from around the nation. Sure, John Rothstein. Right. Yeah, it's yeah. You, me, you, and John, and and his his t-shirt sales program could sit down and and come up with uh, reasonable solutions for a lot of these things. Uh, unfortunately, the NCAA is a completely dysfunctional organization. The 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 cancellation of the NCAA tournament is like 24 hours old now, and already uh, there are conference commissioners coming out and and blasting the NCA for for their response. Dan Gavitt, who is the vice president of the NCA and in charge of college basketball, the the commissioners are saying they haven't heard from him in weeks, like not not just yesterday or the day before, but they haven't heard from him in weeks. And you and what are they blasting have, about, Michael? 
so, so they so they have no there is no centralized command there is there the conferences are getting no information you got 32 different conferences making 32 different decisions the big 10 um, you know, comes out and announces that they're going to move forward with their tournament with fans. And the NCAA doesn't do anything knowing that in like 30 minutes, they're going to announce that the whole thing is off or, or continuing without fans. Like they're not passing on like super basic information to all of their member conferences. And uh, it's just, it's just a total cluster. So assuming that these same guys, and there's like 15 or 16 different um, vice presidents of the NCA that all make over three hundred thousand dollars. The uh, the head of, Mark Emmert, the head of the NCA, makes a couple million dollars. You know these these guys. We're expecting them to now make decisions that are that are good for student athletes like Patrick Williams when when they have no track record of doing it. Uh, it's, it's just this whole thing is 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 in the hands of totally incompetent people. And I, I kind of fear for the outcome, you know, when you, when you are thinking about the student athletes and, and doing what's, you know, supposedly best for them. I, I would imagine uh, on, the, on the PR sheets, the student athletes are, are going to be all over it. But when they're actually making real decisions, I don't, th- I don't think the students have much to do with it at all. Yeah. Yeah, wow. When you put it all out there like that, I, I, you know, it's, you, you really start to – yeah, and yeah, so then someone like Patrick Williams is 18 years old and being tasked with making a decision that, you know, the, the, the governing body that's over that decision, you're not even sure if it's uh, – because I will say that the NBA is going to – they have suspended their games. Uh, I'm sure things are going to post, be postponed. I wouldn't be surprised if next year's NBA season starts a little bit later since this year's will end um, sooner but or end, end later. But – the NBA is going to get its shit together and they're going to play basketball games. So I, I do, I, I can say that. I, I don't even know where to start with the NCAA. Here, here's what I want to do, Michael. I want to ask you one more question about next year's team and then we'll take a break. I think this is a great conversation. I'm going to ask you a question about next year's team. We'll take a break after that. And if, if folks, if you're tired of trying to wrap your head around uh, conversations around eligibility and spring sports and all that, that we'll just uh, we'll say at the break, go wash your hands and, and we'll see you later. Uh, but st- stick around for after the break. Cause I want to continue some of this conversation, uh, the more the larger big picture conversation. But since we were talking about next year's team, we admitted that, Hey, there's going to be some good shooters on the team. And you know what? We already know that Raekwon uh, Gray, Anthony polite, MJ Walker, these are good defenders too. Uh, and, and if any, if either of Devin Vassell or Patrick Williams come back, and they get paired with Scotty Barnes, who is a freak show of, a, of an athlete and defender, um, you know, in terms of just his size and, and ball handling and, and combination of stuff. How good can, you know, in, in a, let's forget the floor. I'm not talking about like, well, what, what should we make, you know, eh, you know, baseline projections, but how good can Florida State be? There, the odd chart came out from Bavada that had Florida state as well, they, they released the opening odds to win the 20, 2021 national championship in basketball, assuming there's a 2021 season, Virginia topped the list. Uh, they've got the Hauser kid coming in. Uh, who's, who's fantastic. So one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. It looks like Florida state was ninth, uh, ninth best odds to win the national championship next year. It goes Virginia, Gonzaga, Kansas, Kentucky, Creighton and Baylor are tied. Michigan and Michigan State and Duke are just below them. 
and then Florida State's by itself, uh, right, right with those other top eight, ten teams. D- d- is that reasonable for you? I mean, is Florida State a top ten national con- national championship contender next year? It depends on who comes who comes back. Um, if if one of Patrick Williams or Vassell comes back, then I think that the Florida State probably isn't there. I think I think that that Florida State is is is, is going to be right there. If neither of them come back, I think we're going to be in for uh, a little bit more of a, of a growing pain season. And but you know, by the end of the season, who knows? You know, when you whenever you're bringing in a talent like Scotty Barnes and you're surrounding him with experienced players, then you've you've got the ability to to, to to put together something special. I would feel a lot better about our defense at the beginning of the year, at least if Patrick Williams or Devin Vassell was, was back. I think, you know, you described it well earlier with John Calipari and, and the, the development of teams. I think that specifically on the defensive end next year, that we are going to be looking at a major development curve uh, but, you know, we've got all the pieces. You know, Scotty Barnes is a freak, and he is committed to playing defense. You know, he's, he's not one of these guys who's just he's, – he's not coming in to be Anthony Edwards, you know, and put up some points and go, go off to the NBA. He's, he's coming in to play. And we've got Balsa, who is a developing athletic seven-footer that could provide a little rim protection that we haven't had. And then we've got, uh, you know, all these great athletes – I mean, you know, that are already on, already on the team, and we just have to get uh, Barnes and Calhoun and whoever the other new faces are up to speed. Uh, so, so yeah, I, th- I think if if one of one of those two comes back, I would say that that's a I, I could live with that. You know, sort of a potential top ten team. If neither of them come back, I think it's a bit of a stretch. I think that's fair. I think that's fair. I, I think that I'd probably rather have Pat back than to I mean, look. Devin, love you. I, I want both people. Hey, let's bring it all back. Let's get the whole party back together, and then we can and just go go win 35 games. Um, I think Pat's length. I, I don't know. I, I actually, I, I don't know. I could I could hear arguments for both, given Devin's three point shooting as well. But Pat and Scotty Barnes on the wing together is a scary proposition for opposing teams' passing lanes. I, I'm not exactly sure where you would begin to attack that, um, and. But you're right about the curve. And here's the only thing about the, the growing pains. You can still be great. You can be a, a top 10 team in March. But if you had those growing pains getting there, you're going to be playing from maybe a five-seed spot as opposed to a two- or one-seed spot. And we've seen the data on how much more, how better the path is to getting to the second weekend or the third weekend from the one- and two-seed spot versus from, from the four- or five-seed spot. So – you know, that, that's something that has to be – when you think about odds of actually getting to the, be in position to win the national title, where you're coming from makes a difference. One of the reasons, again, why this year is disappointing, given that Florida State in all likelihood was going to be a two-seed. Um, it's a conversation that we'll certainly have uh, time over the summer to, to delve more into since there won't be a whole lot of other sports going on. Uh, we're going to take a quick break. And then again, if you don't want to stick around for more, for more conversation around the eligibility stuff, fine. If you do uh, come back for more. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly from Bloomberg. This is the deal each week. You're here is in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. 
That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not as uh, simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. All right, so we were talking a bit about the, the eligibility around guys like Pat Williams who have a deadline to declare, right? They, they have a – there is an impending – thing in, in it that they need to do for their eligibility and, and get some information about and make a decision. There are other athletes, Michael, who, who maybe they were a senior, maybe the pros, not their, their ultimate uh, outcome, but they're a senior and, and their, their season was just halted halfway through or a quarter of the way through, like in baseball, uh, maybe their, their actual season, like outdoor track and field, which is a separate, an actual separate sport from indoor track and field didn't even get started. So they, they now are no longer, they have not played their year of sport. <laughs> is that something that you think should be, I mean, should they be given another year? I feel like the answer for basketball is, well, you played 30 games. Sorry, you don't get a tournament, but no Trent Forrest, you cannot come back for another year. That conversation gets a lot trickier with baseball and then a sport like track that hasn't even started or golf with, with John Pack. Yeah, for I, I would agree that basketball, it's kind of, it's unfortunate the way it ended, but seniors, it's time to move on. For the, for the spring sports, though, I, I, can't, I, can, I can't think of a logical argument for why you wouldn't allow them to come back. I know that there's going to be, you know, baseball's already recruited like 20 guys on, onto the team for next year. There's going to be all kinds of scholarship issues. There's, there's going to be you know, who knows, but there is so much money out there for college sports that there's a way to fix this. There's, I saw recently that one of some college team is, has three assistant coaches that all make over a million dollars of a football team. Uh, it, you know, it's just crazy how much money is out there for college sports. And because this, this is a unique kind of one-off event that's, that's shutting those sports down. I'm not quite sure why exactly all those sports are getting shut down, but they are, uh, this is sort of a unique one-off event. Um, I, I would hope that the NCAA can can get their shit together enough to figure out a solution for what's going to happen to all the seniors. You know, some of them won't want to come back. That's fine. But the ones that do want to come back, you know, baseball has basically played, I think, 17 games. You know, that's roughly – that's right on the line of where they could all get a red shirt anyway, you know, if, if they – because they, they didn't play more than 30% or whatever of the games – so the, the, I, I don't think that there is a good argument for not allowing the, the seniors another year of eligibility. I, it just goes back to the little rant earlier about the NCAA. I have zero faith that they're going to make um, a good decision on this. You know, maybe, maybe they'll flip a coin and get it right. Uh, but it, it, I'm, I'm not holding out hope that there's going to be a great solution to all of this. Yeah, I, I'm with you in that I'm not – I. I think perhaps the thing for me that's been hardest to grasp out of all of this is that the things that are happening in June have been canceled as opposed to postponed. You know, we've seen, we've seen things like the NBA and MLS and NHL and the PGA, they've, you know, postponed event, like the masters is postponed and, you know, the NBA season is suspended, but not canceled. I, I'm not quite sure I understand why the college world series is canceled given that it takes, it starts June 20th it's in a stadium that's only used for the college world series. It's not like it's a stadium that is, you know, some other teams entity. So 
I, and, 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 you know, we don't know, we, we just don't know what the world, what, what this virus and situation will look like in April. Like what if there's testing has been contained and it, it seems like you could review on April 15th, what are you going to do with something that's happening on June 20th and then make a decision from there with more information. So I, I don't know. And then to your point, that gives me less confidence that the governing body is going to make the right decision for the student athletes that they are supposedly supposed to be serving, that they're actually going to make the, 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 the decision that's in the best interest of those student athletes. Because again, they just made a decision to cancel something that takes place four months from now. And we're not even, we're not even sure, you know, what, what the outcome is going to be there. So like, I, what would you, if you were the NCAA, would you, yeah. So it sounds like you're saying just, Hey, next year we'll find a way to, to be creative with some of the scholarship issues. If, like you said, some people are just going to want to, some people are the, the, the backup, 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 and they just want to go and start their life and get a job. That's fine. Uh, I, I myself had a, a, I had an indoor season of track eligibility left when I was in college. I had been injured in indoor season, but I competed that same outdoor season. So I could have come back and start and done, I could have gone to college one more year and then started a grad degree or something just for an indoor season. That didn't make the most sense for me. I just went and started my career. So not everybody's going to want to come back and play. Also keep in mind that a lot of these baseball players, golfers, um, lacrosse play, they're on, they're on partial scholarships. It's not like football and basketball where everybody's on a full ride. So some people are making a decision around, well, do I want my 15% partial scholarship or not? But to your point, there's a lot of money out there. There's a lot of funds that could be started. There's a lot of one-time scholarship enhancement programs that could be started. And is that, is that what I kind of hear you saying that, well, okay, well, let's gather the data. Let's see how many people this would even impact, right? Go out and ask the student athletes who would be interested in pursuing another year if they were given another year of eligibility since the season didn't occur and then move from there around decision-making that would lead to some situations where, yeah, for one year, there might be more people on scholarship than, than typical, but then teams would adjust and go back to the normal in the next year. Is that what I hear you saying? Yeah. You're recruiting them to your school to, to, for a number of reasons, but you know, one of them is that they're training for their sports, you know, so that, so not all the track and field athletes are there training for the Olympics, but certainly the top end people are, you know, not all baseball players are going to end up playing in the, you know, and are getting drafted into, into, into MLB, but they're there to prep for, you know, for that career. So you're, you're recruiting them to represent your school and then they have their entire season stripped out from under them. You've got to have some way to be flexible. Uh, you know, this I'm compensating them for the, for the scholarship agreement that they've signed on to. Part of right. that agreement was that they would get training, coaching, and development for their career the same way that a biology major is, gonna, is a pre-med who's getting trained to go to medical school. The, the baseball player who is on a path towards being drafted is training for his profession. So if you're at one of these big schools that have incredible facilities and great coaches and, and contacts in the profession that you're looking to get into, it is a, t it's a big loss, you know, and, and, you know, you mentioned earlier that, that, that things like, you know, the college world series has already been canceled. I, I don't understand where that's coming from. It's, it's, it's a total, 
knee-jerk reaction. I, I get that organizations like the NCAA and, and MLB and, and the NBA are in a really tough spot right now because I don't, I don't want to go down the rabbit hole of, of how the government is responding to this thing, but the government is basically not responding. And so it's forcing, <clears throat> it's forcing organizations like the NCAA to make tough decisions. I get that. I get that these decisions are hard. I don't understand why you're canceling things in June when things are are changing so rapidly on a day to day basis. That how you know how can you uh, if if you know if this thing blows over in three weeks or a month, then that's plenty of time. You know to 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 get the season rolling and and to, and to have have a college world series. So why are you shutting this stuff down? Uh, right now when there's when there's zero really zero um, you know downside to just waiting and just and, and making an informed decision a month from now or two months from you know whatever uh, so again it goes back to my faith in the NCAA the way that they're making decisions just seems uh, you know the, the standard cluster that the that we know the NCAA to be um, and yeah, so I, I don't I, I don't know what the solutions are. I think that I could probably come up with them and think that they're good because you know we always want to think that we're right, but but it's it seems like there's a lot better ways to handle it than it is currently being handled. I don't know what the solutions are either, and and I don't I, I don't want people to take away from this podcast that I think that we have all the answers. I, I think honestly, just the opposite. I'm trying to ask questions, right and and we're trying to, to figure things out. What I do know is that in decision, in leadership, in decision-making, that inclusiveness is generally the way to go. And that gathering as much data as possible is the way to go. And so when you tell me that, that the athletic directors and the conference commissioners haven't heard from, uh, from the NCAA in weeks, weeks, I mean... <laughs> That, that is not just absurd to me, that is malpractice. I mean, that, that we're talking about, that's fireable offense. And I, I agree. I feel like there are a whole lot of um, people, of, of innocent bystanders here, and, and I'm not trying to, to suggest that there aren't uh, people who have lives at risk with this virus. We, none of this is, is trying to suggest that the virus isn't uh, a real threat to vulnerable populations that it isn't something that is killing people in this country and around the world. That doesn't mean that you, you throw out the baby with the bathwater and you, we are, there are out of what, what appears to me to be out of touch old men making decisions about, you know, young people, 19, 20, 21 years old that have significant ramifications for, family and generational changing wealth, or even just for being able to pursue uh, proper training and a degree, a, a, an education degree, because some of these folks may not be at the university if they're not there on a half scholarship for wrestling or, or, you know, something for golf or something that might be the reason why they're at the university and to cancel the structure, the organization, to cancel the, the system in which they are currently operating in without saying that we're going to give it a month and you know, accumulate more data, make a decision, be inclusive with that decision-making process, reach out to the very people 
who are most impacted by the decisions and get their input, that, that is a significant concern to me and, and one in which I I've unfortunately foresee some significant consequences and, and perhaps even accelerating the, the disbandment of the entire NCAA as we know it. Yeah, yeah. That that is that the, the this whole conversation is like, um, can we go back to talking about trim forces or something? Yeah. You, you yeah. know, it, it's can we it's, talk about and, whether we want Arkansas Little Rock or uh, or North Dakota right, State? Again? Right, and, and we're going to be looking at this for weeks now because there are no sports and and some there's a lot of people out there that you know I. I don't watch TV. You know, I watch, I watch live sports. I don't go to movies. You know, it's like my, my, uh, uh, my, my hobby is sports and talking about sports and, and whatever. And there's a gazillion people out there just like me. And, and now we're kind of, you know, stuck having these kind of conversations and it's, it just, it's, it sucks. Everything about this whole thing sucks. I think and, if your job was a equipment person to run, to, to do the equipment for the college world series or the final four or something, or think if your job was security at an arena or, or concessions or something like that, like think if that's, if that's what your, if that's how you put food on the table for your family. Yeah, we have, and you know, in our Slack room, we have, we have two guys who are already, you know, basically jobless because of this. And, and it's, yeah, it's, there are, I don't, I don't even know how to, you know, you know what to say about the ramifications of this thing to real, you know, to real lives and real people. And we, we try to try to focus on the impacts on, on student athletes. Cause that's what we, we, you know, that's what we're here to cover. Um, but even once you start talking about student athletes, it all just, it all just, you know, kind of spirals, um, you know, in, into this, into these other topics. And it's, it's not going to be a great time for sports fans because there's no sports, you know? So now, mm -hmm. what, now what do we all sit around mm -hmm. talking about? Yeah, no, I think that's, that's probably as good a place to any uh, as any to end it. So, you know, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what our next podcast, I guess, who knows, maybe, maybe some of these decisions, we, we know that some of the things like the PGA and the, and the NBA are just suspended. They are not, um, they are not canceled. So, you know, I think that I can certainly see a world in uh, Michael in which you and I maybe uh, turn this into a Tomahawk nation, uh, golf dedicated <laughs> podcast, um, or, or at least see if we can cover Brooks Kepka and, and Daniel Berger and some other guys who went to Florida state and their progress, uh, their progress in, in golf or in the NBA. I know we have some NBA uh, or some, Hamilton alums who are in the NBA and competing for, you know, for the playoffs. So I, you know, I, I certainly think we can cover some of that, but you know, yeah, maybe, maybe we do see if we can get some of the folks like you mentioned, people in the slack room who have been directly impacted by it or, or get some uh, student athletes on and, and see if we can, you know, get, get a little perspective into their um, mindset and, and what, what's going through in their decision-making. And as I said, as opposed to just, you know, speculating and making assumption, assumptions. But for now, I think uh, this is this is where we will end it. The the 2019-2020 Florida State basketball season is is complete. The team finished fourth in the country uh, as ranked by the Associated Press. They were the ACC regular season champs and were also uh, named the ACC conference champions. And and did get a, a berth into the NCAA before it was canceled. They were awarded the automatic berth. So. Um, they, they did 
qualify for the NCAA tournament uh, for the fourth consecutive year is probably how that's best phrased. Um, for, for Michael, uh, this is Matt signing off. <laughs>